Hello, this is Andrea Walton, and for the next hour, I'll be reading from the Friday, June 2nd, and Saturday, June 3rd issues of the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Cover of Friday's paper, front page news, is a group from West Africa that performed in Genesee. And they're in very colorful uniforms, and they're very talented. It's titled The Power of Music. Using music to try to inspire audiences at the churches, schools, businesses, and anywhere else it performs to make donations, the Mexico World Orphans Choir continued that mission in the area this week. The main goal of our organization is to get these kids and kids just like them in their countries sponsored for their education, tour director Sam Wyndham said Wednesday at Liberty Pumps Incorporated on Apple Tree Avenue in Virgin, where the choir was starting to get ready for one of its performances. Matt Seco has been performing around the United States for about nine months, he said. Donors, Wyndham said, are people who contribute $40 a month toward the kids' educations. That $40 takes them all the way through school, all the way through university. So when these kids graduate, they'll be able to become anything they've ever dreamed of growing up, he said. Wyndham said the hope is that the kids of Matt Seco, 24 children who are from Liberia, can change their country from the inside. So future generations of kids just like them don't have to grow up in the same situation that these kids have grown up in. Aside from Liberia, Matt Seco also sponsors kids from India, Peru, Nepal, Philippines, Uganda, and Tanzania. We're involved in a lot of different countries, he said. The tour Matt Seco is on right now began months ago in Seattle, Washington. We've gone through countless cities. We've been through about 25 different states, Wyndham said. We make our way down the West Coast, cut across all the southern states during the winter to avoid the snow, make our way up the East Coast, and now we just finished the New England area. We're going to be headed back west to end up in Seattle. In the past, the tour director said the choir has included children from some of the other countries he mentioned. Since COVID hit, the countries have become more restrictive, he said. Liberia has been very open, so this year we're just having a team of Liberian kids. They've been in the United States since last September. We've been traveling around the entire time, just performing at churches, schools, retirement communities, factories, anywhere that's really going to have us, just trying to get as many sponsors as possible. Matsiko has a traditional dance that it performs, Wyndham said, but added, for the most part, the moves that you see during their songs are just taught to them while they're teaching songs. There might be a couple that people know. I know they do La Bamba by Richie Valens, he said. They've got a rendition of I Believe I Can Fly. Chris Cummings coordinated Matt Seco's visit to Liberty Pumps and to Our Lady of Mercy in Leroy, where it also performed on Wednesday. They were coming to the area, so I asked, can you please come? And then I organized it, Cummings said. I just made it possible for them to come to these different places. The sponsoring churches are Our Lady of Mercy in Leroy and St. Bridget's in Virgin. The entire community is supportive. They all came together to welcome them. Four years ago, Cummings said the choir came to the area. She and her husband, John, went to the group's performance. We chose to sponsor one girl, Monucci, from Nepal. She's been with us since second grade, Chris Cummings said. She's now in sixth grade. Since COVID, children lost sponsors. We took on two boys who had lost sponsors. One is in college and the other is 15. They are here giving up a whole year. They're looking for sponsors so their family and friends can have an education. Team up to aid GCC students. 
With a renewed emphasis on health and wellness, the administration at Genesee Community College is confident that a two-year grant could provide alcohol and drug prevention services through Genesee Orleans Council on Alcoholism and Substance Abuse will make a positive difference in students' lives. In recent months, especially since COVID, we've put a lot of energy into opening a new wellness office, said GCC Dean of Students, Patty Chaya. And the health and safety of our students has always been a main priority. This collaboration with Jacasa is going to be really great and it's coming at a perfect time to build our wellness program. Chaya recently learned that Jacasa received the grant, about $98,000 annually for two years, from the New York State Office of Addiction Services and Supports. It will enable Jacasa to hire one full-time and one half-time prevention educator to work at GCC. OASAS has awarded several of these college prevention initiative grants to State University of New York or City University of New York Community Colleges, utilizing federal funding relating to the COVID-19 pandemic, the American Rescue Plan Act, and the Coronavirus Response and Relief Supplemental Appropriations Act. The purpose is to implement evidence-based practices and strategies, including individual and family-focused programs and or community-level environmental change strategies to prevent or reduce substance misuse. Shannon Ford, Director of Prevention at Jacasa, wrote the request for funding proposal, which then was submitted to OASAS for approval. She said her agency and GCC have been seeking a way to collaborate and provide prevention services for the past several years. We're pleased to be able to provide services at the college and are in the process of accepting resumes for the educator positions, Ford said. Our plan is to use the basics, brief alcohol screening and intervention for college students, and CASSETS, brief cannabis screening and intervention for college students, which are evidence-based programs, both of which have produced successful outcomes. The two prevention educators will work out of an office in the Dean of Students area on the second floor of the campus's main building. Chaya said, adding that they will work closely with the college's wellness specialist, Megan Bernard. Actually, we have a number of offices that will be working together with these new hires, she said. One is our college village residence halls, our population down there. I find that I meet with a lot of those students in my office for infractions, and having them meet with one of these Jacasa counselors at a sanction may be really helpful even though they don't think so at the time. It may help them get back on their feet. Chaya acknowledged that there could be underlying factors that lead to students' use of drugs and alcohol, and that's where the wellness piece comes in. Some of the things that we are looking to work on is peer pressure, lack of connection the students have, disabilities, food insecurity, mental health concerns, poverty or lack of financial resources, lack of resources due to their rural location and a family history of substance abuse, she said. Maybe they're struggling with parents getting divorced or a breakup of a relationship, and they really could use some counseling. So in addition, we'll provide them counseling and we'll also provide them some sort of assessment for their substance use and hopefully get them back on their feet again. I mean, this is not just a problem with GCC. It's very widely spread across the United States. Substance misuse can have lasting consequences for college students, including poor academic performance, assault, injury, and increased risk of developing substance use disorder. According to the National Survey on Drug Use and Health in 2019, almost 53% of full-time college students aged 18 to 22 drank alcohol in the past month and about 33% engaged in binge drinking during the same time frame. Family history and other risk factors, such as peer approval and perception of harm, 
can lead to problems with drugs and alcohol, Ford said. Having this grant gives us a unique opportunity to reach young adults with specific age and culturally appropriate prevention approaches. Chaya emphasized that GCC campus safety will play a role in the program. My hope is that we can provide some training for campus safety personnel as well as other people on campus, such as the wellness office and my office and the Dean of Students and the Human Services program, and just provide training to the staff so we can sustain the benefits of the grant. By doing this, when it ends in two years, we can keep it going, she said. She said it's all about giving students a second chance to reach their potential. Students want to meet their goals, but sometimes peer pressure or their use of some of these substances may affect their attendance at class, she said. They may actually go to class high, and they don't remember what was said in class, and they have a greater likelihood of probably getting in trouble around here. We don't want to see that. We have a very safe campus, and we want that to continue. The outreach will include GCC students receiving services through the College's Educational Opportunity Program and the Adult Education Opportunity Center, Chaya said. We also have, which sometimes people forget, online learning. And just because somebody is online is an online learner, as long as they're GCC students, they can use our services, she added. They may also need the assistance of counseling or alcohol and drug counseling. Because after COVID, these are people that sometimes were home and smoking weed or drinking. And we need to figure out how they can get back to living a great life and doing well with their academics. Chaya said the basics and CASICS programs are vital to identifying the risk factors and providing avenues to deal with the issues that are hurting their academic and social progress. Sometimes when they're using, there's a lack of motivation that leads to low grades, and many times they don't believe that their excessive use of substances can lead to a substance use disorder, she said. A concentrated effort will be placed upon students living at the College Village on campus residence halls. Students smoke marijuana in their room in the residence halls, and don't want the fire alarm detector to go off, so they cover the fire alarm fire detector, which is a big no-no, Chaya said. And some are suspended because of this and lose their housing privileges because it's putting everyone at risk. For more information about the grant or to apply for the prevention educator positions, contact Ford at sfordgicasa.org. The HARV is ready for today's opening. The HARV Go Arts new exhibit was undergoing some last minute cleanup done with today's VIP opening of the space at 56 Harvester Avenue. VIPs are asked to enter through the pub coffee hub to get to the Harv. At 7 p.m. there will be a viewing of a mini documentary at the coffee hub followed by the exhibit opening in the Harv. The public may view the exhibit Saturday when the doors open at 5 p.m. for the opening reception. Admission will be $5 at the door. The exhibit will also be open for viewing at 5 p.m. June 9th, 10th, 16th, 17th, 23rd, and 24th. During Saturday's opening reception, there will be live music featuring Flash Bam Pow from 7 to 11 p.m. Go Art Education Director SCR Coordinator Mary Jo Whitman said the preparation for the Harv's opening has been hectic, but that things are going very well. Right now, we're just trying to get the area cleaned off. We need to string up some lights. We've got a couple of pieces that we're touching up tying up loose ends, trying to get the venue space cleaned up. All the, artwork is set, all the artwork is set up and ready to go. We're in the staging process right now. Preparation of the HARV began in mid-January, Whitman said. Ideally, she said Go Art would have had a year and a half to prepare the space to open. It's actually a pretty quick turnaround for the size space and what we've been able to accomplish here, she said. We managed to pull it off in a pretty short time. 
I think everyone's going to be surprised with how much work is in here. We came in and started making art. That's the first thing we did. When we first got in, Brian Kemp and I had an idea for a mural, she said. The, that was the first thing we started working on. The mural's finished. I'm actually going to be touching up some paint on it this evening, which was Thursday night, and then it will be ready to go. Whitman said the first thought was to recreate a mural by an England-based street artist named Banksy. We decided that, since I'm a sculptor, it would be fun to do it in 3D. I started sculpting some figures for it, she said. We had to have maintenance hook up a spigot and a water line so we could do a water element for it, too. The harbor includes so many incredible art pieces, Whitman said. I did an entire installation in a separate room. There's at least 60 other pieces. We've got a car in here that we painted up, she said. As for the Harv's future plans, Whitman said there is nothing specific to mention right now. We're just kind of working in the moment right now, and then we'll see how the rest of this month plays out, she said. Wyoming honors mental health heroes. An annual breakfast. Several area residents were recognized Wednesday during the 23rd annual Wyoming County Mental Health Month recognition breakfast. The breakfast was conducted at the Valley Chapel Ministry Center with awards being presented to supporters of mental health awareness in the county. More than 90 agency staff, community members, peers, and volunteers attended to recognize this year's award recipients. Kim Mathis of Perry received the award for Outstanding Community Member in recognition of her generosity and dedication, always donating food and time to so many members of the community, organizers said in a news release. WNY Farm Drop, locally represented by Jennifer Noble, received the Outstanding Community Business Award for giving away donations of nutritious food regularly throughout the county while improving the quality of life and peace of mind for many community members. A New Start Kitty Shelter received the award for Outstanding Community Organization for its hard work and commitment, which organizers de described as invaluable to the members of the community. They said it directly impacts mental health by reducing stress people may face when not being able to care for their pet. Nicholas Wright from the Wyoming County Sheriff's Office was likewise recognized as the outstanding community advocate for his dedication to being a mental health leader in the law enforcement profession and his compassionate care for emotionally distressed people. Those attending also heard a presentation by Chip Matthews of Evergreen Life Coaching based on this year's theme of take some time to look around and look within. The Eden Cafe and Bake Shop is hosting a series of art shows. Eden Cafe and Bake Shop at 242 Ellicott Street is launching a series of First Friday art shows that will highlight the work of local artists. The first show is scheduled for 5 to 7 p.m. this past Friday night and will feature the artwork of students involved in Glow Out, a local organization that provides education and awareness of and around the LGBTQ community. The show is part of a celebration of Pride Month. We are excited to launch our first Friday art show, providing a creative space for local artists to shine, said Judy Heisick, owner of Eden Cafe and Bake Shop. Through this initiative, we hope to foster a sense of community, celebrate diversity, and support the incredible talent that resides within our city. We invite art enthusiasts, community members, and everyone passionate about the arts to join us for an evening of artistic exploration, inspiration, and connection. Eden Cafe and Bake Shop will feature new artists each month with the goal of presenting a diverse and ever-changing selection of artwork. The first Friday art show will provide a platform for artists to showcase their talent and connect with art enthusiasts and potential buyers, organizers said in a news release.
Artists interested in participating in future exhibitions are encouraged to submit their artwork for consideration. Submissions should include high quality pictures of the art, a brief artist statement, the mediums and dimensions used, and the price for sale. Interested artists can email their submissions to Judy Heisick and Marsha Bond at judy at edenbakeshop.com or visit carrotdogcafe.com for more information. The first Friday art show will include an opening reception with light hors d'oeuvres. The artwork will be available for purchase throughout the month. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Bureau. Moving to sports on Friday, college golf, a record-setting season. Medina alumni Melanie Green named to Division All-American Honorable Mention Team. Medina High School alumni and University of South Florida junior Melanie Green capped off a record-setting season by being named to the Women's Golf Coaches Association 2022-23 Division I All-American Honorable Mention Team. Green is one of only 50 student athletes in the country selected for the prestigious recognition. Green becomes the sixth USF Women's Golf Team member to be named to an All-American team and the first since 1999. She joins USF standouts Deborah Thomas from 1984, Laurel Keene 1986, Anna Aker 1991, Susan Vesey 1991-92-93, and Kelly Lagros 1999 in earning All-American honors. In 2022-23, Green led the Bulls to a record-breaking season in NCAA regional appearance. She ranked number 12 in the country in scoring average, 71.03, and was the 39th ranked player in the country overall, according to Golfstat. Green earned her third American Athletic All-Conference honor, becoming only the fourth Bull with three All-Conference honors, and led the Bulls with eight top 10 finishes and 10 top 25 finishes. Green also made her second consecutive NCAA appearance after qualifying for the NCAA Regional as an individual in 2022 and finishing tied for 27th. Along the way, Green set seven USF individual season records and contributed to 16 USF team season records. Her individual season records, 71.03 season scoring average, number 12 national scoring rate, 22 rounds of par or better, 90.1% finish percentage, 113 season birdies, 3.97 par 4 scoring, and a 4.78 par 5 scoring. In addition, Green holds the USF career records for scoring an average of 72.13 par or better rounds, 46, finish percentage 84.1%, and is second with 258 career birdies. During her high school career with Medina, Green was a three-time Section 6 champion and a two-time NYSPHSAA champion. I guess she's really continuing with her joy of golf and her incredible skills. Moving to horse racing. Vivian's Dream and Turn on the Charm are winners at the Buffalo Raceway. It was like a paid public workout for Vivian's Dream, which paid $210 in her $57,000 division of the New York Sire Stakes for the three-year-old Philly Pacers on Wednesday afternoon at Buffalo Raceway as she toyed with the field in notching a one-and-a-quarter length win over Dane in a dialed-down 154.2 over the fast track. 
In her career debut last season in the New York Sire Stakes at Buffalo Raceway, Vivian's dream was the talk of the town as she posted the victory and crushed the two-year-old Philly pacing track record in doing so. But there wasn't much fanfare after her first three-year-old starts as Vivian's dream was strong, steady, and workmanlike. Driver Jim Morrell Jr. said of victory aboard Vivian's dream, It wasn't me. Barring any bad luck, she couldn't lose unless something freaky happened. Fortunately, nothing did. The toughest task Morrell Jr. had along the way with Vivian's dream was pulling her out from second to the lead approaching the first panel. With respectable fractions of 27.4, 56.4, and a minute 26, Vivian's dream got a little mild pressure from the pockets, sitting Dame and the first over at Winsome Tierra. But in the stretch, Morrell Jr. never moved a muscle and let Vivian's dream do her thing. There were no anxious moments in the home stretch as Vivian's dream completed mile in a minute 54.2, well off the track mark of 152.2, established yes last year by Got the Green Light. Dame, ridden by Marcus Miller, held on for second with Winston Tierra, driven by Kevin Cummings, finishing in third. Owned by Forrest Bartlett and conditioned by Kevin Lahr, Vivian's Dream, American Ideal Sports Chick, put $28,500 in the bank in her initial try of 2023. She has now won 8 of 14 career starts and jacked her career earnings to $468,270. Turn on the Charm, which paid $6, turned on the Jets in the final quarter mile and collected the victory in the $58,100 first division of the New York Sire Stakes for the three-year-old Philly Pacers. She rolled past Be on the Hunt, driven by Cummings, and the even-money favorite, Rock My Socks, driven by John McDonald, by one of the quarter links in a minute 54.2. Rock My Socks battled with Be on the Hunt and Bama Breeze for early command and finally took the top in a snappy 27.2, with 56.3 opening half on the board. Turn on the charm, driven by Miller, followed the over-American starlight to the final marker. Now three wide and winging, Turn on the Charm steadily pushed her way to the lead in the lane and marched home for the win, leaving B on the hunt and Rock My Socks behind for second and third place honors, respectively. At 28.3, final quarter proved to be enough for Turn on the Charm and earned the trip to the winner's circle. Miller said of the race, I didn't get away quite as close as I wanted to because the three inside horses were racing pretty hard. I then followed some cover and she exploded. Co-owned by Megan Beauchamp and John Coffey, Turn on the Charm, Huntsville Charming Hill, is trained by Bruce Clark. It was the second score in three attempts this year for Turn on the Charm. Now a winner of $40,300 on the year and $101,265 in her career. In the lone $20,000 Excelsior Series race, Lady Jericho, ridden by Joseph Chandino Jr., didn't disappoint as the heavy favorite as she wired the field in a minute 57.2. She beat Beantown, driven by Miller, by one and a half lengths, while Cherry Valley, driven by McDonald, saw her four-race winning streak come to an end with a third-place finish. Lady Jericho, paying 220, took control off the starting gate and protected pylon position in hitting the opening quarter in 29.1. After splits of 58.3 and a minute 29.3, Lady Jericho found company on the outside going around the final turn as Cherry Valley got even terms. But a final panel of 27.4 produced by Lady Jericho eliminated the hopes of Bean Babe and Cherry Valley. Owned by Jennifer Safford and trained by John Berger, it was the, fir 
third victory in four tries in 2023 for Lady Jericho, whose parents are Dudes the Man and Taylor Lane Diva. The win upped her seasonal earnings to $20,380 and $43,880 in her career. Morrill Jr., Buffalo Raceway's runaway leader in the driver's standings, added six more into the win column during the afternoon, while Cummings and Chandino Jr. had doubles. Samuel Smith had three training victories, and Russell Bratt and Andrew Torrey had two each. Racing will continue on Friday afternoon at 2.30 p.m. with an 11 race card schedule. Don't know if other people enjoy horse racing as much as I do, but that's kind of kind of my thing. I like to play the ponies once in a while. Of course, I'm a cheap better because only $2 to show, which gives me three shots at actually getting some, getting a little bit of money. I usually wind up about even when I go to the track. Moving to Saturday's paper, the FBI is requesting help in a child porn case. Federal investigators say a Rochester man installed cameras in a bathroom and shower at a church in Orleans County to watch young boys and adult men. Stephen Nicot, age 60, was arrested Friday and charged with production and possession of child pornography, which carries a mandatory minimum sentence of 15 years and a maximum of 30. Assistant U.S. Attorney Megan McGuire said a complaint was filed in July when Monroe County Sheriff's investigators found cameras in the bathroom of Nicot's residence. A search warrant allegedly found numerous photographs and videos depicting boys and men nude, including some who were showering. Videos also allegedly revealed five victims at an unidentified church in Orleans County. The materials seized during the search included a USB drive, cell phones, an SD card, and a laptop, investigators said. Anyone with any information on the case can call the FBI at 585-546-2220. I really hope they can put that guy away because that's just just evil and sickening. Genesee is to begin water restrictions. Voluntary measures. Residents are asked to do their part to conserve. Voluntary water restrictions have been announced in Genesee County. County officials are requesting the cooperation of all residents, businesses, and institutions within the county to voluntarily reduce water consumption without causing undue inconvenience. By conserving water collectively, we can make a significant difference while minimizing the impact on daily life, the official said in a news release issued Friday morning. The requests include residents are asked to limit outdoor watering of lawns, gardens, and landscapes. It is essential to refrain from watering during the hottest parts of the day to maximize water absorption, the official said. Minimize vehicle washing for essential purposes only. Consider using commercial car wash facilities that recycle water, reducing overall consumption. Limit non-essential water uses such as filling swimming pools, decorative fountains, and other recreational water features. All residents are encouraged to adopt water-saving habits, including fixing leaks promptly, installing efficient fixtures, and utilizing water-efficient appliances. Regular updates and reminders will be shared through local media, community platforms, and our official website to keep everyone informed. It is important to note that these water restrictions are voluntary at this stage, the official said. Mandatory water restrictions may be implemented if public health and safety are put at risk. By following these suggestions, each individual con contribution will add up significantly. No similar advisories have been issued in Livingston, Orleans, and Wyoming counties. 
for portions of the towns of Arcade, Eagle, and Pike in Wyoming County, along with an area near Dansville in Livingston County, are now listed as abnormally dry by the U.S. Drought Monitor. That means there's a potential for stunted crops, brown lawns, decreasing surface water levels, and similar conditions. Genesee County is committed to ensuring a sustainable and reliable water supply for its residents, said Stephen Pelotico of the Genesee County Manager's Office in Friday's news release. The Genesee County Water Project is a vital initiative aimed at enhancing the efficiency and resilience of its water system, he said. The project involves the upgrade and maintenance of critical infrastructure components, such as water treatment plants, distribution networks, and storage facilities. These improvements will help us meet the increasing demand for water, address aging infrastructure challenges, and ensure the long-term availability of clean and safe water for our community, he said. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Circle. Hot coffee and donuts. That sounds good this morning, I think. Sometimes, smaller gestures mean just as much. That's why the Salvation Army team with Duncan early Friday morning in the Batavia VA Medical Center's outpatient clinic. They set up a table stocked with dozens of donuts, a large vat of coffee, baskets of tea bags, and a supply of Duncan gift cards. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible, said Richard Hill, a 14-year Army veteran who served in Operation Desert Storm in Somalia and now works at the location. You'll see some of the guys tear up. It means so much to them. A lot of the guys here are Vietnam vets, and you know how they got treated when they came home. It's a different world now, and they get really excited. Friday was not, so coincidentally, National Donut Day, which has origins stretching as far back as World War I when servicemen were offered coffee and donuts overseas. Veterans who stopped by got a free donut, a beverage, and a gift card. Salvation Army Captain Rachel Moore and volunteer Judy Arnold, herself a 20-year Navy veteran, made the delivery. Moore has three brothers who are active duty in the Army. The Salvation Army has a really long history with its own donut day and the military in World War II, she said. The Salvation Army sent out a group of women, along with the Red Cross, called the Donut Girls. They made these really heavy, cakey donuts because the rations were so short they didn't have all the ingredients we have to make these fluffy donuts today. They just went around serving all the soldiers, American soldiers, British soldiers, anybody who was in need. The Friday morning donation harkened back to that era. It's really great to see there's a whole legacy of the Salvation Army serving not just today, but years past, Moore said. And obviously for me, I have brothers in the military too. It's a really wonderful opportunity for me to give back, and a lot of our veterans, our volunteers, are veterans too. A similar donation by Duncan and the Salvation Army took place at Buffalo's VA facility. Another way to say thanks and give back on one of the sweetest days of the year. And there's a picture of some of the veterans that were volunteers for this event. The plane crash investigation continues. This was quite a shock last weekend. Investigation into last weekend's plane crash that killed two Monroe County men continues. Earl Luce Jr. of Brockport was killed when his experimental airplane crashed Sunday after its wings detached. Dr. Morris Wartman, a gynecologist from Rochester, was riding as a passenger. Wartman, age 72, was a prominent and controversial OBGYN and fertility doctor who was a frequent target of anti-abortion protesters. 
He also made international news when the daughter of one of his fertility patients filed a lawsuit against him in 2021. The lawsuit, which remains pending in Monroe County Court, claims Wartman secretly impregnated patients with his own sperm. The lawsuit said the woman was able to identify Wartman as her father through DNA testing, according to the New York Post. The test revealed the woman had at least nine half-siblings. Luce was a well-known builder of airplanes and was an expert on the Whitman W-5 Buttercup, a two-person aircraft designed in 1938. Luce first flew a Buttercup he built in 2002. The plane came apart as he was flying near the Carlton Yates town line last Sunday afternoon. Luce had been giving rides from the Gaines Valley Airport where he had long kept his planes. In August 2017, Luce survived a similar crash. He was flying a homemade plane owned by a friend when something broke loose during takeoff from the airport. He veered the plane into a grove of trees where he crashed. Luce suffered minor injuries in that accident. The Federal Aviation Administration and National Transportation Safety Board are continuing to investigate Sunday's crash. Luce died two days before his 70th birthday, according to his obituary. Luce had been flying for more than 40 years and owned Luce Air LLC. Survivors include his wife, Laura Luce, and their daughter, Shannon Luce. In brief notes, Special Olympics Torch runs Monday in Albion. The Albion leg of the Law Enforcement Torch Run for Special Olympics New York will take place Monday. The event starts at 10 a.m. at Albion Village Hall at 35 Main Street. People are invited to participate and are asked to be there by 9.30 a.m. Shirts will also be available at $25 or $30 for long sleeve. For more information, shirt orders, or route information, contact T. McMurray at villageofalbionny.com or 585-390-4766. Those interested may also contact Erica Rappel of Special Olympics New York at E-R-A-P-P-L-E at NYSO.org or 716-909-6444. Wyoming County sets rabies vaccine clinics. A rabies vaccination clinic for dogs, cats, and ferrets is set for Tuesday. The clinic will take place from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Village of Perry Highway Department at 32 South Federal Street. Dogs, cats, and ferrets at least three months old are eligible. They must be accompanied by a person who can control them. The initial vaccination is good for one year only. Each vaccination afterward is good for three years for dogs and cats and one year for ferrets. The clinics are free to Wyoming County residents, but donations are encouraged to offset costs. A mandatory $10 fee will be charged for out-of-county residents. Those interested may save time and pre-register at www.wyomingco.net. Online reservations will be accepted until noon on the day of the clinics. Fire police are hosting a Euchre tournament. A Euchre tournament will be conducted Sunday by the Warsaw Fire Police Squad. The event starts at noon at the Fire Hall on East Buffalo Street. It will be the last until October, so it will also feature a cookout with hot dogs and hamburgers. People are asked to bring a small dish to pass. Refreshments will also be available. Call Primo at 585-786-2608 for more information. Pavilion Center Central School was a center of activity. Alumni Hall of Fame, three inductees joined the ranks this week. Pavilion was a safe place, a wonderful place in which to grow up, remembers Dr. William Anderson, who was back on campus 
one of three to be inducted into the Pavilion Central School Alumni Hall of Fame Friday morning. Anderson, who graduated in 1972, participated in many activities. In 1972, his ability on the basketball court earned him a position on the all-county first-string basketball team. Pavilion Central School for the town of Pavilion was a center of activity, not only for the students, but for parents, he said. We would fill the gymnasium up every night when we would play basketball. JVs would play first, varsity would play second. It was a wonderful time. Anderson initially attended Genesee Community College, followed by SUNY Geneseo and the Medical University of South Carolina. His studies and research revolved around the function of smooth muscle utilizing a silicon force transducer initially developed for the space shuttle program. He earned a doctorate of medicine in December of 1983 and initially entered private practice in Orlando, Florida. After two years in Florida, he learned of a new hospital being built in Somerville, South Carolina. He and his wife decided to move back to Charleston, where he built his office across the street from the new hospital. Thinking of the pavilion students in the audience Friday, Anderson told them what he told his son when he was ready to finish high school and continue his education. I said, the only thing I can do as a father is provide opportunity. What you do with that opportunity is up to you, he said. If you're going to sleep in bed all day and miss classes, there's not much I can do about that. I have the same advice to all the students in this room today, Anderson said. Every one of you has potential. Every one of you has aspirations. It's up to you to act upon them. The people of the Township of Pavilion have provided you a wonderful physical plant. I'm sure they've provided you wonderful teachers that had a lot of information for you. You need to take advantage of it. That's what they're here for. Roxanne Milligan Dupengeiser, a 1984 graduate, Roxanne Milligan Dupengeiser lives in Wisconsin and works for LeClaire Family Creamery, a manufacturer of award-winning goat and cow milk cheeses. At Pavilion, she was class salutatorian. She was also a recipient of a National Scholar Athlete Award, the Danforth I Dare You Award, and the DAR Good Citizenship Award. Dupengeiser served as a family and consumer science 4-H youth development educator in Wyoming County for more than 23 years through September of 2019. In an effort to find out what I really enjoyed doing and to expose myself to career opportunities, I spent my summers during college as a camp counselor, a market research interviewer, a 4-H assistant in Wayne County, working for Cornell's Alumni Association, helping with class reunions on campus each summer, she said. College isn't for everyone, she advised the students. There are opportunities in the skilled trades and the military that are essential and honorable that the students may also explore. We've been uniquely created for a special purpose and we need to embrace who we are. I encourage you not to compare yourself with other people, but to be fully your own specially made self, Dupengeiser said. Martin Thomas Griffith. Griffith is a senior executive vice president and chief banking officer for CNB Bank a role he has held since 2021. He is responsible for contributing to the strategic planning and direction of a $5.5 billion bank holding company. A 1980 Pavilion graduate, Griffiths said he enjoyed the opportunity to work in family-owned businesses for the first half of his adult years, but there came a time for him to pivot professionally. It was a very difficult decision for me to exit a family-owned business. I think more than it was difficult for me, it was difficult for some of my family members to think that I was moving on. At the end of the day, it was a good pivot for me. I want you to stop and think on a regular basis about what you're doing today, what you might enjoy doing, but also think with big possibilities in mind, he said. 
Don't let others around you tell you that you can't do something. I agree with that statement 100%. Because if I had listened to people in my career, I wouldn't have got as far as I did. To me, there's nothing motivates me more than somebody saying you can't. <laughs> Obituaries in Saturday's paper. Rosemarie Jamokowski. She was 84. She passed away in West Jordan, Utah, but she had spent a good share of her life in Batavia. Dorothy, also known as Dottie, Ann Rowcliffe, age 80. Continuing on with news, culinary arts students earn thanks. The Chamber of Commerce recognizes students for contribution to their annual dinner. Representatives from the Genesee County Chamber of Commerce recently paid a visit to the Batavia Career and Technical Education Center to say thanks. The group expressed its gratitude to the location's culinary arts students, Chef Tracy Bergio and teaching assistant Denise Koss, for their efforts in preparing a meal for the annual Celebrate Agriculture Dinner. The annual dinner took place March 25th at the Alexander Fire Hall. The event honors the prominent industry of agriculture in Genesee County. The highlight of the evening, evening was a delectable meal consisting of locally sourced foods prepared by the culinary arts students from the Batavia CTE Center, officials from the latter said in a news release. The collaboration between the Chamber's Agricultural Committee and the Culinary Arts Program, led by Bergio and Koss, proved to be successful. The Chamber of Commerce had approached Bergio to cater the dinner fully aware that it would pose a culinary challenge that her students would eagerly embrace. Bergio gladly accepted the opportunity. The dinner was open to the public. The Celebrate Ag Dinner is organized by several partners, including the Genesee County Chamber of Commerce, Cornell Cooperative Extension of Genesee County, Genesee County Soil and Water Conservation District, and the Genesee County Farm Bureau. Local farms and businesses generously donated food grown within the county for the event. Bergio, along with the culinary arts students, collaborated in planning and practicing the menu, incorporating food products sourced from Genesee County farmers. Seeing the students flawlessly produce the meal with as many attendees that were present was incredible, said President Brian Cousins of the Genesee County Chamber of Commerce. The operation was not only impressive, the meal was absolutely delicious and highly memorable. We are thankful for Chef Tracy and Denise, as well as all of our local partners that made the event possible continued. Without their support and the food donations, this event could not happen. A well-done collaborative effort for those in our agricultural community, leaders in education, and students in the culinary arts. During their visit, the Chamber representatives presented a monetary contribution to the Culinary Art Club as a token of appreciation. They eagerly expressed their anticipation for next year's event. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Moving to Saturday's sports. Notre Dame is set for the Far West Regional. Following the win over Bolivar Richburg last Saturday in the Section 5 Class C2 Championship game, Notre Dame head coach Rick Rapone told his team, let's keep going and play some June baseball. With a route of Class C1 winner SOTUS earlier this week in the state qualifier, that's exactly what the Fire Fighting Irish will be doing on Saturday when they meet up with, class, with Section 6 Class C winner 
Gowanda in the Far West Regional Final for a chance to go to the New York State Public High School Athletic Association Final Four. First pitch on Saturday is scheduled for 11 a.m. at Frontier High School in Hamburg. The winner will meet the winner of Section 2's Chatham and Section 7's Ticonderoga at Maine and Well High School next Friday. We are a battle-tested team with two games against Oakfield, Batavia, Akron, Albion, Campbell-Savona, Bolivar, Richburg, and Sodus. So the moment won't be too big, Rapone said, but we'll need a great pitch game from Bryston, solid defense, great base running, and timely hitting. As has been well documented, Notre Dame has been one of the most dominant teams in all of Section 5 all spring, having outscored its opponents 235-25 to following the 17-4 dismantling of Sodus earlier in the week. This postseason, the Fighting Irish have outscored their opponents to the tune of 68-7. Notre Dame beat number 17 EMHCS in the Class C2 opening round, number 9 Byron Virgin in the quarterfinals, number 5 Campbell Savona in the semifinals, and number 3 Bolivar Richburg for its first title in nearly a decade. Notre Dame's only setback of the season was in the regular season finale to Akron. While its pitching has been the key factor in carrying the Irish to within three wins of a state title, Notre Dame has a team ERA this season of just 59, while the staff has combined for 14 shutouts, three no-hitters, and a perfect game. In 143 innings, the Fighting Irish have allowed just 68 hits and 12 earned runs, while they have struck out 274 against just 32 walks, an astounding ratio of 8.6 to 1 and have allowed just four extra base hits. Teams are batting just 130 off of Notre Dame pitchers with an on-base percentage of just .187. Likely towing the slab on Saturday, the Fighting Irish have been led by senior Bryston Berry, who got the shutout win in the sectional final. On the season, Berry is 8-0 with an ERA of .44 with six complete games, five shutouts, a save, one of the no-hitters, and a perfect game. In his 48 innings pitched, Barry has allowed just 22 hits. He's walked 13 and struck out 93, while teams are hitting just 132 against him. But it doesn't end with Barry. Junior Ryan Fitzpatrick is 6-1 with an ERA of 6-4 with three shutouts and a no-hitter, while he has allowed 18 hits in 32 and two-thirds innings pitched with just eight walks and 63 strikeouts. Junior Jaden Sherwood, who got the win in the state qualifier, has also been outstanding, as he is 5-0 with an ERA of 1.18 with a pair of shutouts. In his 35 and two-thirds innings, Sherwood has given up just 19 hits, while he has walked 10 and struck out 72. Junior Jay Antnor, 3-0 with a 0-0-0 ERA, three shutouts, no hitter, 20 and two-thirds inning pitch, eight hits, one single and 32 strikeouts, is also add depth to this talented staff. At 22-1, the Fighting Irish can also get it done at the plate as they are hitting 344 as a team with 44 extra base hits while they have struck out just 89 times and have an OPS of 880. Antnor leads the team with a 442 average with seven doubles, a triple, 47 runs scored, and 16 runs batted in. While in limited action, eighth grader Evan Fitzpatrick is, heating, is hitting 438 with 11 runs scored and 6 RBIs. 
Barry has also been outstanding with the stick, hitting 436 with four doubles, 36 runs scored, and 33 runs batted in. While Chase Antnor, 340 with two doubles, a home run, 18 runs, and 15 RBIs. Chase Cummings, 333 with 11 runs and 12 RBIs. Jimmy Fanara hitting 327 with three doubles, 20 runs, and 16 runs batted in. And Sherwood hitting 315 with three doubles, a home run, 20 runs, and 18 RBIs are all over 300. With Jordan Welker hitting 294, four doubles, two triples, 21 runs, and 18 runs batted in. And Ryan Fitzpatrick hitting 288 with six doubles, 26 runs, and 21 RBIs just below him. Led by Jay Antnor's 33 stolen bases, the Fighting Iris have swiped 121 bases in 125 attempts this season. The last time Notre Dame reached the NYSPHSAA semifinals was in 2014 when it fell to eventual Class D champion Smithtown Christian 7-1 in the semifinals. That team was led by the likes of Alec Koval, Andrew Mullen, Tyler Stroud, Jared Wall, Jason Hart, and Cal Taggart. The Fighting Irish will meet a Gowanda team that is coming in at 22-2 and is led by longtime head coach Tim Smith. The Panthers won a Section 6 title just two years ago as well in 2021. With only one Class C bracket in, six, in Section 6, Gowanda has played just three postseason games, beating number 9 Chautauqua Lake, Chautauqua Lake 10-0, number 4 Climber Sherman Panama 12-6, and number 3 Portville 7-2 for the title. Gowanda is a very strong offensive team with plus pitching, Rapone said. They have won a good number of their games by 10 run margins, so we are going to have to limit them getting on base, especially if it is a walk or an error. We need to make sure we get the first batter out every inning, then make sure once we get two outs to quickly get the third and get off the field, then try to switch the tables on them and get on base and force the action. The Panthers have outscored their opponents 279-58 to on the season, while their only two losses came from Fredonia, 5-3 in the season opener, and to Dunkirk, 5-4 in May, on May 16th. Fredonia fell in the Class B-2 title game, while Dunkirk lost in the Class B-1 semifinals. While Gowanda's pitching has been solid, this is a team that likes to get it done on the offensive, as they are hitting 355 as a team. The Panthers are led by the explosive bats of senior John Andes, who is batting 554 with 11 doubles, 3 triples, 4 home runs, 42 runs scored, and 38 RBIs. And senior Tyler Smith, who is at 524 with 6 doubles, 2 triples, 2 base runs scored, and 29 runs driven in. Senior Alex Puchachinski and sophomore Blake Herman have also been strong at the plate. Moving on. To flag football. Batavia is shining in inaugural flag football season as the Blue Devils enter the postseason. For coaches Ben Buchholz and Aaron Fix, Batavia High School's inaugural season of spring flag football could not have begun any better than it has. The Blue Devils rolled their way to an unbeaten regular season during which they outscored their opponents 146 to 25 over seven consecutive victories and have entered the Section 5 playoffs as the number one seed in Class B. Behind an explosive offense and a stingy defense, Batavia appears to have the makings of a championship-level team. It's been really exciting, said Buchholz, of his team start to the spring. They have taken to it way better than I thought, imagined, actually. I should have known. 
they're all really good athletes. That's been the key for the Blue Devils, as their healthy roster of 22 girls is filled with many multi-sport and even some dual-sport athletes who compete in multiple sports during the spring season alone. They all play varsity soccer and basketball and track, so they've been through this stuff, added Blue Colts. Guiding Batavia to a perfect 7-0 record entering postseason play has been a list of athletes, including quarterbacks Anna Varlin and Julia Clark, running backs Kylie Brennan and Ella Radley, along with wide receiver Alyssa Turner. Defensively, defensively Jamin McDonald has been a stalwart for Batavia, while Brennan recorded a season-high 13 tackles in her team's final game of the regular season, a 20-0 win over Eastridge on May 25th. It's been really fun, said Varland, of her experience during the program's first season. Learning something new is always exciting, and I've really enjoyed being with different people. I feel like sometimes you hang out with the same crowd, and this has brought a lot of different sports and people together, and it's just been a great experience. The Blue Devils will have experienced an extended layoff by the time they take the field for their first postseason matchup as a first-round bye has pushed the team's opening contest to the second round, where it will face Eastridge more than 10 days since their last regular season matchup on Tuesday at 7 p.m. at Vendetta Stadium. Batavia's home field is a place where the team has received plenty of support this season. It's great having the Blue Zoo cheer us on, said McDonald of the school student section. It's fun talking about it with everyone at school. Everyone is always asking us, like, when's your next game? It feels really nice because it's almost like the guys' football, how they get all the attention. Batavia had little trouble working its way to a perfect regular season, but did face a tough test in Canastillo-Greenwood, which the Blue Devils defeated by a slim 9-6 margin on May 19th. Knowing another difficult challenge could await them in the coming days, Batavia is doing its best to remain even keel while remaining aware of the significance of the moment they're presently a part of. We're making history here. I know it might sound cheesy, but it's true, said Varlin. The game has never been played before at Batavia, and knowing that we are the first team is very exciting. Catch the girls in action when they take on Eastridge on Tuesday. If Batavia is to win its first sectional contest, it will advance to Thursday's championship game, which will be available via live stream. That's pretty exciting for those girls, I would say. Well, it wasn't a whole lot in sports this week, so I'm going to finish my reading with one of my favorites, as I've mentioned other times in the past, my buddy Scott DeSmith. Let me find Scott's article real quick. It's titled, The Survey Says, Don't Believe the Statistics. A new poll released this week tells me that the approval ratings for Congress are at an all-time low. Just one in ten Americans approve of the job Congress is doing. That means, if I remember from my statistics class from college, that if I ask 10 Americans what they think of Congress, only one will answer, I think they're doing great. This poll was conducted by phone, with Gallup calling 1,102 adults in a four-day period. I never received a call, and I don't believe in polls, so I decided that I would conduct my own poll. I hit the streets to find 10 Americans. The first person I came upon certainly looked American. He was in his 20s and wore black shorts and black shoes and black socks and had a cellular phone tucked beneath his chin. He was texting. Hey, do you approve of Congress, I asked? Huh? Hold on. He continued to text and then promptly walked face first into a light pole. I'll take that as a no. Hi, I'm conducting a poll, I said to an attractive woman coming out of the post office. Do you approve of Congress? You pig! I barely was able to duck her wild right hook. 
Not that kind of Congress. Yeesh. But she didn't hear me because at this point, I was running wildly down Main Street. I'll take that as a definite no. Bars are always a good place to pull people. A few drinks always make people more talkative and more prone to share their political views with strangers. I settled up to the bar, ordered a tall cold one, and looked around. Three guys were in there. It was 10 in the morning. One appeared to have been there since 10 the night before. Hey, how's it going? Um, what do you think about that Congress? Guys are a bunch of dopes, aren't they? Um, the next guy was a little more talkative. Them, that's all he said. I'll take that as another no. The third guy left before I could ask him a question. This was harder than I thought. I still needed to ask six more Americans if they approve of Congress. Off I went. An older gentleman was sitting on a sidewalk bench. He looked intelligent and sober. How are you? I'm conducting a poll about Congress. And Congress? The only good thing about Congress is Barbara Conable. I vote for him every year. He's the only one who knows what he's doing. And damn that Roosevelt and his deal. I'll tell you. I walked away. Another no. Younger people seem to be in tune with politics. I know the Gallup pollsters polled only adults, but I needed answers. Excuse me, I said to a group of young girls about 13 or 14 years old. I was wondering, creepo, creepo. All four of them whipped out their cell phones, and I just pray that I was able to make it out of there in time before they got a good description of me. So paranoid, these girls. Being a scientific pollster, I put them all down as no. So that was nine, no. I had yet to find anyone who approved of Congress. If my college statistics class taught me anything, the very next person should answer, I approve of Congress. That would mesh with the Gallup poll. I had to find that person. Someone, somewhere, had to approve of this Congress, the last productive Congress in history, the least productive Congress in history. So off I went again, vowing to keep walking and keep walking and asking until I, oh, never mind. Who believes in statistics anyways? I hope you enjoyed that as I did. You've been listening to a reading of articles and features from the Friday, June 2nd, and Saturday, June 3rd issues of the Batavia Daily News. Your reader has been Andrea Walton. Thank you for listening.